sermon text this morning will be our, our gospel reading from Matthew chapter 8, if you would like to turn there. Let us pray. Father, you promised to be with us, that you will sustain us through all the troubles of this life. I pray that you would give us comfort and peace through your word and through your Son this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Our gospel reading begins with the words, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Jesus had just been on a mountain. What mountain, you might ask? This is Matthew chapter 8. Some of you, if you know your Bibles, you know Matthew 5 to 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's important to recognize the pattern to Jesus' life here that he has been fulfilling. Already, as we heard back in Christmas time, Matthew has shown us that Jesus is fulfilling uh, the exodus of Israel, that when he fled to Egypt, that was to fulfill what was spoken, out of Egypt I called my son. So Jesus comes as the new Israel. In chapter 4, Jesus is baptized, passing through the waters of judgment and coming through on the other side. He then is led into the wilderness, and he hungers, and he is tempted by Satan. But he, he's faithful, he passes through, and then in chapter 5, he ascends a mountain and declares the law to the people. Have we heard this story before? This is... A preview of our book study, Echoes of Exodus, isn't it? Moses delivered the people through water out of um, Egypt. Moses led the people through the wilderness where they were tempted and they were not faithful. They complained and grumbled against God. Moses then ascended the mountain, received the law of God, and delivered it to the people. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the Exodus, as the new Moses who will lead his people to freedom and out of slavery. He will bring about an even greater redemption. And so Jesus comes down now from the mount and great crowds follow him. Just as Moses led the people, Jesus leads the throng. And it's important to note how chapter 7 ended. After giving this great sermon on the mount, Clarifying and declaring the true intent of the law of God against his false interpretations, verses 28 and 29 say, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. No one ever spoke like this man. His words had authority. His teaching had authority. It was not like the scribes. It was not like merely human teachers. Now, this man was different. You've heard it was said, but I say to you, 
Whoever listens and receives my words will stand. Jesus did not come down from heaven to give you some good life advice. Jesus did not come down just to inform you about some things, to share some thoughts, to, philosoph to philosophize about some deep truths uh, merely. No, he comes as the Lord, the Lord of all creation, coming to what is rightfully his, the Lord of you and me. We do not make him Lord of our lives. His Lordship is there objectively over you and I both, and all that's left for us to do is to bow low before him. No, ultimately, we do not make him Lord, but rather, as the psalmist says, because he is your Lord, bow to him. Psalm 45, verse 11. So chapter 7 ends with this emphasis on the authority of Christ's teaching. And beginning in chapter 8, we see the authority of Jesus displayed in his miracles. His authority is displayed both in his teaching and his miracles, word and works. And specifically here in verses 1 to 13, we see the authority of Jesus in his works of healing. Matthew has already mentioned Jesus' works of healing back in chapter 4, verses 23 and 25. He had been healing many multitudes. His fame had spread throughout all Syria and Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and beyond the Jordan. Everyone had heard and was flocking to Jesus. That's how there's this great crowd at the mount. Right Now he comes down from the mount and the crowds follow him. Here in chapter 8, though, we get the first narrations of specific healings in the book of Matthew. Specific individuals. What's their story? And it is very intriguing that Matthew begins with a story of his encounter with a leper and a Roman centurion. A leper and a centurion. These both would have been outcasts, outsiders to the people of Israel, rejected, feared, viewed as unclean. And these are the ones that Jesus heals. It's, it's the ones he starts with, as it were. The account of the healing of the lepers in verses 2 through 4, beginning in verse 2. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a skin disease. Its exact nature is not entirely clear. Many commentators think it is unlikely that it is the exact same disease that in modern day we call, uh, that we call leprosy. But it does refer to a serious skin disease, which was highly contagious in which the Old Testament law took very seriously. Leviticus 13 to 14 details the laws of how to deal with leprosy. If anyone thought that, that they had it, they would have to show themselves to a priest who would then assess it, assess the spot, and if it was determined to be leprosy, then they would be declared unclean. And that meant they cannot come near others, they cannot come near the temple, in fact, they could not dwell in their home. They needed 
to signal to others that they had this disease so that others could stay away from them. Because if you get unclean through contact with something that's dead or through blood or through an unclean animal, you're just unclean till the evening. But what if you have something, a condition, where you're perpetually unclean? That's leprosy. And so we read in Leviticus 13, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Can you imagine that? Imagine the humiliation, the isolation. It wasn't just about the disease in itself. It was about the state that it put you in, a state of uncleanness, of being Cut off. Cut off from fellowship with the Lord's people and cut off from the Lord's presence in the sanctuary. And yet there was a way out. If your leprous disease went away, you could inform the priest and he would go to you outside of the city and he would examine you. And if he pronounced you clean, you would then be clean. But you would have to go through this cleansing ritual of washing and bathing, and then on the eighth day, you would bring a sacrifice of atonement as you are reunited to the community of God's people and welcomed back into the Lord's special presence. It's remarkable, then, that the leper comes to Jesus and kneels before him and cries out, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He had heard the reports of Jesus and his healings that he had been doing. He was convinced this one had authority. Maybe he heard the Sermon on the Mount. He has authority. He has the power and the ability to rid this disease. He could do what the priest could not do. The priest could only inspect and declare whether or not he was clean, but he knew Jesus, this Lord, he calls him, could get rid of the disease entirely. All it depended upon was Jesus' will. His ability to heal is not in question. It's just a question, is he willing? If you will, you can make me clean. We see Jesus' answer in verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. He was willing, and so he was made clean. Immediately. This was not a gradual, slow recovery. In an instant, in a moment of time, Jesus has command. He gives the word, it comes to pass. He declares, be clean, and it is so. But notice, too, the physical component there, right? He stretched out his hand and touched him. That's not supposed to happen. You don't touch a leper. First, because they're unclean. If you touch a leper, you become unclean, and you're unclean till the evening. Now you have to wash. You can't touch other people. You can't go to the temple. Anyone you touch then becomes unclean. You don't want to become unclean. That's what happens if you touch a leper. But also, that disease might spread to you. You might then have to deal with living a life of uncleanness, separation, and 
exile and just waiting until you're healed, whenever that might be. So here, Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. Only this touch does not make Jesus unclean. No, the opposite. His touch makes the leper clean. This was unprecedented. In the Old Testament, cleanness doesn't spread. Ceremonial cleanness does not spread. Only uncleanness spreads. Right? So if you have uh, something that's clean or holy, dedicated to the Lord, or simply not defiled even, and then you have something unclean, put those together, what wins? Unclean. It's contaminated. It's defiled now. Uncleanness is contagious, not cleanness. But in Jesus, cleanness is contagious. Purity is contagious. Life and restoration and reconnection flows to the unclean one and swallows up their impurity. Friends, some of you might think that Jesus can't handle your sin and uncleanness. That if you bring it to him, I mean really bring it to him, fess up and acknowledge it, it's like he'll be contaminated or something. He'll recoil in horror. You'd just be best sticking to shouting, unclean, unclean, don't come near me, Jesus. But brothers and sisters, you cannot defile him. Your sin is no match for his righteousness. Your stain is no match for his purity. There is more life in Jesus than there is death in you. There is more grace in Jesus than there is guilt in you. Come to him. Fall before him. Get on your knees and cry out, not, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We have something better to go off of. Lord, you are willing, so make me clean. If you do that with a true and repentant heart, trusting in him, believe that he will cleanse you of your sin. I will be clean. That is the word of the gospel. Now that's recognizing the way that uncleanness and disease can function as a symbol for sin and guilt. But at another level, this shows us Jesus' genuine concern for people's physical welfare too, does it not? He did not come just to make everybody spiritually right with God. Mission accomplished. If that weren't enough, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He comes to redeem and restore all things, to drive away all the effects of sin in this world, including all disease and pain and suffering and even death itself. Every healing in Jesus' ministry is a little picture of what is coming, of what he one day will do writ large to the whole universe. So that's the first scene here. Jesus heals a leper. Now we come to the second scene, the second outsider. And this one is in a slightly different spot than a leper in some ways. This is a Roman centurion. Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, 
appealing to him. A centurion was a Roman officer who had authority over a hundred men. So this is no mere foot soldier of Rome. This is possibly the highest ranking officer in the town of Capernaum. A hundred soldiers at his command. If you read the New Testament or are familiar with a bit of history, you'll know that the Romans are not particularly liked by the Jewish people in Jesus' day. It's because the Romans held the Jews in subjugation. The Jews were in their own land. They had some uh, form of self-governance, but it was all ultimately subject to Rome. They were subject to the Roman Empire. They were a vassal state and had to obey its laws and its leaders that Rome appoints over them. And the Romans also taxed the Jews severely. That's why tax collectors were viewed with such a bad name, because they betrayed their people. They worked for the Romans, and they support their system of injustice. On top of all of that, the Romans were not Jewish. They were pagans. They worshipped idols. They had dozens and dozens of gods that they worshipped. They did not know the God of Israel. They were outsiders, uncircumcised, like the lepers, unclean due to their impure living. And so this Roman centurion, a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers of high wealth and status, comes forward to Jesus and appeals to him, saying, verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He had a servant. Luke tells us it was a servant who was very dear to him. And this servant was suffering terribly. He was in pain. The Gospel of Luke, Luke was a physician, by the way. Luke says he was near to death. He comes to Jesus. He appeals to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 7, I will come and heal him. But then the centurion says something remarkable. He says no. Verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Notice two wonders there. First, see the humility that the centurion exhibits. He, a high-ranking officer of a mighty empire, declares himself unworthy to have this wandering preacher of the subjugated people come into his house. He's not worthy to have Jesus come near him. He knows he is a sinful man. You remember the Apostle Peter, when he met Jesus, when Jesus was on the boat and told him to cast his net on the other side, they've been fishing all night, caught nothing. Okay, I'll do it, but we've been fishing all night. Just cast it on the other side. He casts it, and they pull up the largest catch of fish you could imagine, and the boat is sinking under the weight of it. And what does Peter do? His response to that is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus' miracles, his words, 
showed that he had authority, that he was in control, that he was somehow the Lord. And therefore, to be in his presence is to be in the presence of the holy. And this Roman centurion, accomplishments and all, says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The humility of the centurion. But then also the great faith. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Though he knew Jesus was holy and mighty, he also knew he was compassionate and merciful and that he was inclined to do good even to those who are unworthy. I'm not worthy, but just say the word and it'll happen. Right? Humility and faith. Just say the word. You don't need to come. You don't need to lay hands on him. That's what Jesus did, isn't it, with the leper? He stretched out his hand, touched the leper, and maybe you think, oh, there's something about his hands. It must be his hands. There has to be some healing property inherent in them. But no, just say the word, the centurion said. You don't even have to be there. He knew this wasn't a matter of mere magic or superstition. There's no sleight of hand here. This is a man with authority, even over a terrible illness. And that authority was such that just by a word, he could drive it away. That's all it would take. Friends, it's a great blessing to be in the bodily presence of Jesus. It was a great blessing to his earthly disciples then. And we look forward to being with him in heaven and to all eternity. But we can learn something from this centurion, can't we? Jesus heals by his word. Jesus gives life by his word. His word. The absence of his bodily presence is no obstacle here. He doesn't have to be there physically. His body doesn't need to be there locally for his salvation to be present. Just say the word, and that would be enough. Jesus has spoken his word. He has said to you and to me, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You want to pass from death to life this morning? You don't need the bodily presence of Christ here this morning. You just need his word received. Receive his word and trust that it has the power to heal, to give you life. Great humility and great faith in this Roman centurion. And Jesus marvels at it in verse 10. Jesus, marveling. He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Right? This, this outsider, this Roman, this pagan, is showing greater faith than I've seen in Israel. My own people, who've been given the law and the province and all the rest, I'm seeing more faith here than I've seen.
We see here a preview of what will become clear later in Jesus' ministry. Though many Jews will believe in Christ, many will also reject him, and the kingdom will go to the Gentiles. Jesus points to this in verse 11. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is not the kingdom that they might have expected. It's a dramatic reversal. Foreigners from the east and from the west. You might think of wise men from the east. A Roman centurion from the west. They are coming to Christ. They are trusting in Christ, and they are enjoying that feast that he offers. And they will be seated with Father Abraham, <coughs> Isaac, and Jacob at the great heavenly banquet that has no end. The outsiders are in, and the sons of the kingdom are out. Jesus has changed everything. The leper who believed in Jesus is in the kingdom, but the Jewish priest to whom he goes to be purified, but who rejects him, is out. The Roman centurion is in the kingdom, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are out. Why? Because it's all about Jesus now. It's all about receiving him. The question is, will you acknowledge your need and your unworthiness? Will you acknowledge his power and ability to save? And will you put your trust in him and not in your own strength and wisdom? If so, you will be seated at table in the eternal banquet with all the saints throughout all the ages. But if not, the only alternative is the outside, right? The outer darkness. So come to Christ. Fall down before him. Acknowledge your need. Trust in his mercy and strength to redeem. And believe that his word will bring healing. He has already spoken it. So believe it. And be healed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you came into this world to redeem and to save to call all men to repentance and faith in you. Oh Lord, grant us these gifts. May we come to you. May we trust in your word. May we be healed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.